0: You're listening to Financial Insights, a podcast that helps investors through the difficult maze of financial planning and saving for retirement. I'm Brian Ullman, and I'm a financial advisor and certified financial planner at Ford Financial Group. And together with some guests and other advisors at my firm, we're talking about the issues and questions relating to finance that face our clients every day. Welcome back to the Financial Insights Podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed the last episode that we had, where Steve and I went over our outlook for 2021. Uh, when we were kind of make, having those discussions at year end, we thought that our we were hopeful. I think you could probably tell for 2021 and what's coming. And I I can say that we are probably still hopeful, although here we are a little bit more than a week into the new year, and it's almost as if 2021 said to 2020. Hold my beer and watch this. Um, this is being recorded after the fiasco that went on at the Capitol. And regardless of what side you take, I think we could probably all agree that this isn't the way our democracy works. And so we're troubled by this, of course. Although markets haven't really reacted much to what's gone on. In fact, um, markets have chugged pretty well higher in the first trading week of the year. Um, the Nasdaq 100 is up, small caps are up, um, and even European markets have closed mostly higher, um, and Asia markets have closed higher this, this past week. So um, markets are still forward-looking well into the future, and there's an expectation that at some point this political madness is going to begin to die down, um, and so we will have to wait and see. Some of the surge that we've been seeing, we think, is our investors pricing in uh, more stimulus coming from Congress now that the, the election is over in Georgia and it appears the Democrats have a majority of the Senate uh, and now control both houses of Congress as well as the White House, I think there's a likelihood of more um, stimulus coming through the system, uh, which is already a huge shot in the arm because taken together, we had both packages or rescue or stimulus packages that we had last year in 2020 were combined were massive, historically massive. The idea that we're going to get more, is, um, going to have a pretty big impact on what's going on this year. Um, let's begin this though, by going over a few things, um, just kind of generally, we, we've talked in the past on these shorter episodes, uh, rolling over kind of jobless claims and some other things, COVID and COVID numbers and so on. So let's do that again. Um, Uh, The U.S. this last week reported 787,000 weekly claims for unemployment through January 2nd of 2021. That's actually below the fact set consensus estimates of 801,000, according to the U.S. Department of Labor. I say this over and over again, 787,000 weekly claims for unemployment is terrible, but it's better than expectations. And how we perform compared to expectations is always important. Uh, Continuing claims also beat estimates with 5.1 million Americans still on unemployment insurance versus estimates for 5.2 million. Um, Really, the ongoing threat of COVID-19 has increased the fragility of the job recovery in the very short term. Though, as I mentioned, I think additional stimulus is going to strengthen that bridge for workers to get to the end of the pandemic. Um, We had lots of important things going on politically uh, last week. Uh, One of those things is uh, that the election, the runoff election in Georgia is over and uh, there are winners and both Democratic candidates won that election. And so with the Senate election results in Georgia in, it's probably going to strengthen the case for a weaker U.S. dollar. I think it paves the way for more deficit spending to combat COVID-19 and also gives Biden, uh, the president-elect, some room to implement uh, his priorities, such as infrastructure spending and green energy. And so that's going to have an impact on winners and losers in the market as well. I think we can also expect the possibility of easing trade tensions, uh, which could put incremental pressure on the U.S. dollar. I think we could probably expect um, higher taxes at some point. Um, That would also put pressure on the dollar. And then a weaker U.S. dollar could also increase the attractiveness of international equities and U.S.-based multinational companies. A a lot of, if you are clients here and you are listening to this, um, a lot of those international investments were ramped up towards the end of last year, actually in October and November. So you may have already seen this come through in your portfolio, uh, and those positions will be helped by a weaker dollar. Let's talk a little bit more just for one second about what a Democratic sweep might mean from Georgia. Uh, And because of the Tuesday's Georgia Senate elections and with Democrats now having control of both chambers of Congress, historically, stocks have done just fine under this scenario. We've talked plenty in the past about how stocks or markets or investors liking divided government, and that is true. But it's also worth noting that it's not just Markets don't just do well when we have divided government. Uh, in fact, the S&P 500 index gained six of the past seven times we've had an occurrence like this. The only loss was actually a slight loss in 1994. So the the results of the election are n- no reason to invest or disinvest, if you want to say that, and move to cash. Um, really, uh, things are going to operate on their own in markets You know, as I've always said, whoever is president, whoever controls Congress, it doesn't change the fact that Starbucks has a line at the drive through or that Costco is busy on a Saturday. The economy is going to continue rolling and politicians are influential, but not decisive on how we're doing economically. And so keep that in mind as you consider what has gone on here recently as far as the election is concerned in Georgia and even these wild political acts that we had go on last week. I'm going to wrap this up quickly before we move on into equity winners and losers in 2020 that I want to cover. Let's just talk quickly about COVID-19 news. Uh, The U.S. reported 217,000 new COVID-19 cases last Wednesday, which is a 7.8 week-over-week increase, while the seven-day average week-over-week increase climbed to its highest level since early December. This is according to the COVID Tracking Project. New hospitalizations, rose the most since October, and Japan even declared a second state of emergency amid rising cases. I think there's a lot of optimism among investors that a vaccine is going to get us closer to normal faster, uh, and that's true. Uh, it's, uh, the best example, though, I've heard about the vaccine is that it is a fire hose intended to put out a fire, and that fire hose works better and it works faster and is more effective when the fire it has to put out is smaller. And so the fact that we have these growing cases across the country in, in states that have locked down and in states that haven't locked down. The fact that we have these cases means it's going to take longer for this vaccine to be effective. It's going to take longer for us to get back to normal. And so with these numbers, we might, this might add to what could be some volatility ultimately down the road for equities uh, as we get deeper into 2021 and investors maybe become a little bit impatient uh, wanting the recovery to happen faster. So think about that uh, as we do or we think about that as we do some rebalancing for you and know that that's something that's on our minds. So with all of that said, one thing I wanted to cover, um, probably one final look back into 2020, is looking at the equity winners and losers from last year. It was a good year for stock investors, despite all of the unprecedented challenges that we had. After being down more than 30% at the March 2020 lows, which was, I think, March 23rd to be exact, the S&P 500 index ended the year with a solid 18.4% total return. And in fact, last year marked the first time the index ended a positive year after being down at least 30% during that year. Last year was a year of firsts. Really, the gains were driven primarily by the emerging economic recovery taking hold where we're moving from recession to recovery. It was bolstered by the massive stimulus that I've already talked about. And the remarkably fast COVID nineteen vaccine development that really encouraged investors and market participants to begin to price in the end of the pandemic. So, with all of that, let's let's take a look at some of these asset classes and sector winners and losers for 2020. Um, there was massive growth outperformance. The growth style of investing had one of its biggest runs ever relative to the value style in 2020. And it benefited from better positioning for the, for the pandemic, superior earnings growth, and balance sheet strength. Um, LPL's charge of, chart of the day, uh, one of their charts of the day from last week, um, showed that the ma- major growth indexes returned over 30% while the value indices produced mid single digit gains. I'll post this chart in the show notes so you can see it. Uh, But the technology sector, as you might imagine, was the biggest driver of growth outperformance. It was about 60% of it. Uh, But the consumer discretionary sector led by Amazon, which is one of the biggest stay at home stocks you could own, also outperformed the broad markets and value indices by a pretty wide margin last year. Jeff Buckbinder, the equity strategist for LPL Financial, I think said it well when he said that they maintain a slight preference for growth going forward but have become more interested in value stocks as the outlook for economic growth has improved. Adding fiscal spending uh, that they might get from a Democratic-controlled Congress adds to the case for value investing by boosting interest rates and supporting financials. So you can slice the baloney a little thinner, as my old law school professor would say, and take a look at technology specifically, as opposed to the broader growth category. And you can see that technology led all of the S&P 500 growth sectors in 2020 by a huge margin with its nearly 44% return. You remove that sector away from the S&P 500 performance, and 2020's 18.4% gain would drop to around 6%. Now, The work from home, stay at home environment provided a big boost for that tech sector last year, but it's it's understandable that investors would continue to like the sector's prospects, given the solid earnings outlook and the powerful secular trade winds like five G, cloud computing, mobile payments, and artificial intelligence, and even the work, the stay at home, work at home, or even live at work, depending on your view, you know, approach to work we're relying on technology more than ever. So it, could, it, would, it would seem obvious that tech would remain in favor as an investing sector. Um, although I will give a caveat, when things seem obvious is usually when they're the most wrong. So uh, just beware, we, you don't ever want to be too heavy in one category. Uh, I think many people learned that lesson in the early 2000s. So keep that in mind. Let's also talk about small caps. Small caps are smaller companies. They're the shoelaces for Nike or the hamburger buns for McDonald's, if you if you want to use that kind of analogy. Um, when the U.S. entered a recession and stocks plummeted in March 2020, it was no surprise that small caps underperformed. They're generally more economically sensitive. They're domestic by nature, and they're less able to withstand economic and market stress the way larger cap companies can. But small caps stormed back as confidence in the economic recovery increased. Uh, including the Russell 2000 index's best quarter ever in, in Q4. Uh, the Russell 2000 is a small cap index like um, the Dow Jones Industrial Index, but the Russell is for small caps. And small caps actually slightly outpaced the large cap S&P 500 index for the year, unbelievably. Um LPL actually upgraded their small cap view in September because they tend to do well in early economic cycles. And we expect solid gains for small caps again in 2021 as the recovery gains steam. This is another one of the adjustments that many uh, of you had in your portfolios, adding some small caps last October. Um, And we really benefited from that as we closed out 2020. But really, the reason why we're adding... Positions like that is because we think the outlook for 2021 was good. We're not trading, we weren't, when we were making those adjustments, we're not trading for the next few weeks. We were trading for the next couple of years. So uh, I think we have a ways to go to watch small caps add some good productivity to a portfolio. One of the losers from 2020 was energy. It was a rough year for energy. Uh, In fact, the energy sector had a decline of more than 30%, more than 10 percentage points worse than than the next worst sector, which was actually real estate. Uh, You probably don't need to look any further than the 20% decline in crude oil prices to explain the weakness, but sensitivity to travel added to the the energy sector's woes. Crudes rally back to pre-pandemic price levels in the $50 per barrel range, and related improvement in sector performance are encouraging, but I, I would say that we are staying cautious on energy right now. Let's talk also about the developed international sector asset class, uh, if you will. Um, Developed international stocks lagged in 2020 uh, based on the index, mostly due to weaknesses in France, Japan, and the UK. Um, when we're talking about developed international com- countries or developed international investments or funds, we're usually talking about Western Europe and Japan in those instances. Uh, and though the France, Japan and the UK lack the technology exposure that the US indices enjoy. And so their indices or their markets were hit harder by the pandemic as a result. Uh, meanwhile, the, the Brexit drama really added to the UK's challenges also. Emerging markets uh, fared much better than the developed international markets, roughly matching the gains for the U.S. indices, thanks really really to strength in China, uh, which led the world, after leading the world into the pandemic, led the world out of the global pandemic, but also South Korea and Taiwan helped emerging markets have a good year last year. And I think as I, I began with talking about the dollar weakening, and so we can kind of bring it full circle here, as the dollar gets weaker, or if it in fact does because of more stimulus and other factors that are that will likely go down here in 2021. Um, it just strengthens the case for for sticking with these developed international and emerging market indices. Um, Even though Developed International didn't have a stellar year last year, uh, that was then and this is now. Uh, And so I think there could be some room for some growth there given uh, the conditions, the investing conditions that we have. So I'm going to leave it there. I appreciate you listening. Uh, If you have questions about what you've heard, the makeup of your portfolio, or if you're not a client of ours and would like to reach out to us for a second opinion on what you do have. You can email us at info at FordFG.com or you can give us a call 559-449-8690 or find us on our website, FordFG.com. So thanks again for listening. I look forward to talking to you in the next one.
1: The advisors with Ford Financial Group are registered representatives with and securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice is offered through Ford Financial Group, a registered investment advisor, at a separate entity from LPL. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Stock investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. The economic forecasts set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted. Ford Financial Group and LPL Financial do not provide tax or legal advice or services. This information is not intended as a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security referred to herein.